Hello and welcome to Brits on Flicks podcast, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, deliberate and dissect a movie of our choosing. This month it is The Fantastic 12 Angry Men. Brian, what's your history with this film? Uh, well, just mostly just the fact that it, I came to it knowing how highly regarded it is uh, in film circles, knowing that you know it, it sat pretty highly on the IMDb top two fifty and all that, and then eventually got around to watching it because a friend actually sent me the DVD. He, 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 I think he was just so adamant I needed to watch it. He put it in the post to me and said, "You got to watch it," and made sure I had a copy. And I did watch it eventually, and I thought I'd, it was just yeah, it blew me away with with how good it was. Um, that was, I don't know, about six, seven, maybe maybe eight years ago. Um, and, and I've just got around to a second watch uh, for, for this for this Brits on Flicks podcast, basically. So, but yeah, that's my brief history with it. Wow. So you've only seen that a couple of times, is that? Yes, yeah. two. I've only seen it two times, one of them wow. being yeah. for this recording. Yeah, this is one of those movies that I discovered way back when, when I was uh, young and impressionable, discovered it on TV and was just instantly captivated with everything I saw. Loved the film. Um, couldn't rave about it enough. Uh, and I watched it whenever it came on TV, picked up the DVD, picked up the Blu-ray, picked up the Criterion disc. I've watched this countless times. And every time I get hooked on it, I, I just, it's in my top 10 favourite movies of all time. Um, so, you know, who knows what uh, this conversation is going to lead to, but it seems as if it's going to be a love fest, to be fair. <laughs> so do you have a quick synopsis that you've perhaps borrowed from somewhere? Cribbed, cribbed, yeah. yeah. Um, half of it anyway, the other half's mine, but it's a short one. It's a real short one. <laughs> so a member of a jury attempts to prevent a miscarriage of justice by forcing his colleagues to reconsider the evidence in a murder trial. But with each new question he brings, tempers begin to flare. Can true justice be served when the final decision lies in the hands of 12 angry men? Yeah. Although it's technically 11, because one of them isn't that angry. Or <laughs> <laughs> hides it really well. Um, yeah, I, I, I love this. It's, it's a courtroom drama without the courtroom. Um, mm. You know, you, you learn the information throughout these men talking about it. You hear about the crime. You see a brief moment of, of uh, the perpetrator or the accused at the start. And then we kind of jump into these 12 men. You know nothing about them. They, they're, they're blank people to start with. You don't even get a name as an idea. And you just get to see all these wonderful and some not so wonderful personalities come through throughout the movie. And for me, there's so many things I love about it, but let's just jump into the, the main actor. You know, you get Henry Fonda as juror number eight, the man who's going to be the, the, the resounding, uh, defining voice in this room. What, what do you think of his performance? I really like it. Um, yeah, yeah, and I've just recently watched him in Once Upon a Time in the West, which is obviously a very different role. Like the yeah. complete opposite, really, uh, yeah. to, to this role, really. Because uh, in this, he's so it's just calm. He has a, a real calmness about him the whole way through. Like, th this is clearly a very rational man, a very rational thinking human being who doesn't let his emotions kind of dictate where you know the, the the train of thought that he's going to go on uh, you know he's very much someone who wants to look only at the evidence um and 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 yeah let his thinking go go off that train really just the evidence uh, but he's, he's he's a very likable character because 
he doesn't have any agenda other than wanting to see the truth prevail. And he's, he's not a guy either who's saying, look, this man is innocent. We need to not say, he's saying, I don't know. Yeah. You know, this, 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 this the, 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 we're here not to decide whether this man is not guilty. We're here to decide, is there enough reasonable doubt to suggest the very minute possibility that he might not be guilty? You know, and I think even when we come out at the end, despite the fact the case he's made um, kind of sways everyone and, and it does seem highly likely, highly more likely that the guy didn't do it, we don't know. We don't come out at the end of this movie knowing for sure that the guy didn't do it. But this is about the justice system. It's about what is involved in reaching that decision. And the fact of the matter is, there is enough reasonable doubt to suggest that Maybe he didn't do it. Maybe. Not saying he didn't, but maybe he didn't. Yeah, I, I like, I mean, I think his performance is great. Like you said, it's so controlled. He, he just wants to incite a discussion. He doesn't want to jump to a quick response. He wants to take the base facts. And throughout the conversations that come from the movie, we discover uh, a, basically a cross-section of society at that time. Um, we, we get all these people who have hidden prejudices. We have these people who are just easily led, the, the, the sheep of, of society. We have people who are, are more vocal, but all informed in their language. And I think it really, throughout all of it, we get to see really a, a broad cross-section of America at that time, you know, which I think is, is, is wonderful. Um, the, the performances are, are great across the board. Um, there, there's not a, a poor one in amongst it and there's some great actors that went on to do other things as, as well which I think is wonderful what do you think of the rest of the cast? I, I really like all of them uh, I, I, I just I love the way the film just over this kind of this period of an hour and a half gives you little bits of information about who each of these characters are and they're so they're all really very distinctive characters so you've got the, the racist kind of guy who's you know very prejudiced about people from the slums you got a guy who really is allowing his decision making process to be dictated by his own personal relationship or the lack thereof with his son yeah. You know, he's a very angry, angry man. You've got an old guy who's kind of a, a lot more experienced. He's able to bring that wisdom that comes with age to proceedings. He's able to read people a bit better because he's, you know, he's been there. He's seen it all before. Uh, you've got the guy who is very logical, very practical, uh, doesn't really run off his emotions, but is perhaps making the wrong decision. Um, and, but yet is is willing to to admit when he's wrong once the evidence has logically been presented to him. Um, you've got a guy who is just literally just doesn't want to be there. He's just like all he can think about is the game. He's very self-centered. It's just this this case, this whole thing. He's not even thinking about the guy whose life is on the line for him. It's just all about him. Uh, it's just, like I say, all these different personalities, but they're very distinct people. You, you remember them. You, know, you remember each member of that jury. The, the, the ad man who, sometimes I want to give a bit of a slap, he's just always talking about you know the, the, the world of that he lives in, which is the ad yeah. business and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, like I say, you remember all these people. Like There's 12 guys here and you remember them all. And like if you think about, a lot of modern movies, the, you know, a lot of horror movies, that kind of thing where you get the, the, the typical kind of the breakfast club mentality. You know, you've got different archetypes of, of, of characters that you put in a group, you throw them into a situation and you kind of know what to expect with all those different people. But truth be told, in a lot of those kind of movies, half of the characters are pretty forgettable um, because you know exactly yeah. what their purpose is, you know exactly what the, the setup is all about and what you expect to see from those characters. And that, that's just, that's the nature of genre filmmaking. It's just the nature of the business. You know, it's just things become tropes. That's that. Nothing against it. It just is what it is. But in this film, you've got 12 very distinct characters and they're all memorable. They're all people who, even the ones you, 
you don't really like and wouldn't want to share a room with, you understand how they got to the place in life that they did. Um, And it's just sort of very real, rounded people. I do have to say, watching it the second time, and I think I felt this the first time, but more so this time around, and this has gone up in uh, in my in my movie ranking for I, I, I mean you might be like this i don't know i'm a bit anally retentive when it comes to these things i like making lists when it comes to films i do actually have a list on the letterbox of every film that i've ever given either a 4.5 out of 5 or a 5 uh that's 325 films in total um, and not only do I have that list, but I've ranked them all. Um, so that is a list that is ranked. So I, I literally have my top 320 odd movies of all time in, in, in ranked order. It helps me to do uh, videos for my channel, for my YouTube channel and stuff, because I can just, it's a quick go to. I can go, I can see, right, this, this is, you know, if I'm doing a ranking of some sort, they're all there, ready and ready, ready to go. Mm-hmm. So, the whole point of me telling you that is that this time around, after watching it the second time around, I went to that list because I knew it was on it. Uh, I came I came to it and it was sitting at 108 um, in, in, in my all-time favorite movies. I can say it's gone up. Uh, it is now in the 90s. Uh, the, the, you know, the, yeah, so it, it is a film that it, it's grown on me even more since first viewing and I would imagine will probably continue to do so with each viewing that that I watch it. And this time around, watching it, it's the kind of movie that almost makes me want to give up trying to make movies because I know for a fact there is no way I could ever write something that is this good mm. from, from a script standpoint. It's... It, it's very well directed as well. Uh, I'm, oh. t- I'm just flying off on all kinds of tangents here, but Sidney Lumet is one of the single most underrated filmmakers ever, I think. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, Twelve Angry Men gets a lot of you know gets a lot of praise and stuff, um, and, and there are a few other films on his CV that a lot of people kind of praise as, as a film overall. But I think his hand in that filmmaking process is often overlooked a bit mm. too much. Um, there's a lot of his movies that I've seen recently that I just think, wow, incredible yeah. stuff. Serpico, uh, Prince of the City, which is one that is very underseen, but is mm-hmm. just really fantastic. Um, his last film, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, is, is a really great one as well. So he, he has a real handle on mm-hmm. just how to how to deal with the with a, with a very real world, real life kind of mm-hmm. story. Um, and this film, Twelve Angry Men, it's, it's just twelve guys in a room. How do yeah. you make that visually interesting? It's not even an interesting room. It's just a it's it's, it's, a, it's a room with four walls and a long table in the middle mm-hmm. with a bunch of guys sat around it. As a as a director, you know how how do you make that visually interesting? And this film is visually interesting because he's always moving the camera and there's a lot of long takes. Mm-hmm. And he draws you in to particular characters and particular moments just by the way he moves the camera, the way it glides over the table and focuses in on, on a particular person at a particular time. Like there's a certain choice, a certain process that you go through where, you know, as a filmmaker, you need to understand who does the audience need to identify with most in this moment. And if you misjudge that, you cock it up big time and he doesn't at every step of the way in this film he moves the camera at the appropriate time to get you to focus in on the character that you need to focus in on um and it never loses sight loses sight of the fact that the other 11 men are still doing their thing they can even still be having a conversation which you can hear whilst you're focusing on this other person like i say because of the choices he makes as a director the film has just got such a great focus with what it's trying to do, what it's trying to say at all times. And I really admire it just from a directorial standpoint. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that one. I think Sidney Lumet is an underrated director. He's got so many great movies, but I think, I really do believe that this is his best and just re-watching it constantly 
it's the way he uses his choice of angles to make the, the room feel as if it's coming in on top of these guys as it goes on. It feels as if the, the, this space is getting more and more confined. And the way he uses it to, to decide his blocking, the way he uses outside elements, sound elements to create or to help amplify the atmosphere. There's a moment um, where the guys are, are sweating at the start, they're struggling with the heat. And then as they're getting to a crescendo of the argument, as it's getting to the midway point of who's voting which way, there is a thunderstorm and, and you know, torrential rain outside. It kind of darkens the mood in the room and brings all these guys that uh, temperament to the forefront. There is, uh, like I said, blocking. There is one shot where you get Cobb's character and you've got Fonda's character standing at the forefront um, as they're replaying the stabbing of the knife. Um, which is an interesting way to do it, just either side of the screen, but all the way through the middle, there's a V-shape pointing to the back of the table with various faces watching, almost all of the jurors. And he does this quite a lot, where he has multiple people in the same shot, and it's just, it's wonderfully set up. There's a shot at the end, which is very simple, but it just tells so much, where the jurors all leave the room, and the camera just flies over the table. And as it passes by each seat, you learn everything you need to know about that character. The ripped up picture, the, the pad with doodle images on it, the knife. You know, it goes through the full story again. Just And it's just such a simple camera movement that conveys so much information that you just, every time, I just marveled at this. And every time I sit down to watch it, I'm going, I'm going to watch carefully and see what happens. But the filmmaker doesn't allow that. He draws me into the story and the way the story's told. And no matter how many times I see it, I get lost in this movie. I want to analyse it. I want to know what, what makes it so good. But the story and the movie's so good, I can't focus on anything else other than the wonderful performances and tale in front of me. I think, like, that script is everything. Uh, it's just, yeah. like I say, like, as someone who has written a few scripts and, you know, tried to, I just, I couldn't ever hope to write something that good because every line of dialogue brings something out, whether it's mm. something about a character or something about us, the viewer, our own perceptions and, the, you know, the, the, the way we look at things in real life. It makes you question how you read situations, how you judge other people. Um, and then the film is about so many different things uh, within the judicial process. You know, like the, the it shows how flawed the judicial system is. You know, we, we don't have any other kind of system. It's the only system we've got. It's the best one we can come up with. But it is a flawed system because it depends so much on people's subjective experiences. Um, and even the best lawyers, you know, like there's, there's a lot of conversations, a lot of, a lot of moments in the film where they, but they bring something up and they're like, well, if that's true, why didn't the lawyer think of it? And it's like, well, there's 11 other people in this room who didn't think of it. You know, and it's, and it's just, and it is that thing where it's like the case of whether someone lives or dies or goes to prison for life or not, you know, it, it hinges on the most minute of details and, and, and little things that can just be missed forgotten or you know subject to people's prejudices and things like that that it just it's scary the film is scary because it the everything it presents just makes you realize how flimsy people's guilt and innocence and freedom yeah is hanging you know how 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 thin the thread is that, that all that stuff is hanging on um, the the worrying aspect of it is, is what if juror number eight wasn't there? You know, what would have happened? Because mm. initially at the start, uh, a lot of the driving force of the choices is by the more vocal uh, and more uh, prejudicial members of that jury. You know, they're the people that are almost kind of browbeating their peers into voting a certain way just because they can shout louder than the next person. Um, if, if it wasn't for that one person that just wanted to question things, why not? Like it, it, it reminds me a lot as well of, and I, I think this film is very relevant to today, in the sense that if, if you look at the way the media these days 
pretty much hold public sway, holds public trials. You know, you think about the way people are found guilty before they've even gone to court, before they've even gone through the judicial process. And it's it's this this idea that if you if you paint a good enough picture, if you you know if you if you like you say shout loudest, people already have an opinion. And so a lot of these jurors they go in, and it's and it's not because they're evil men; it's mm. just they're not always actively engaging with what's being presented before them. In the same way that a lot of people, myself included, and I'm sure you as well do in real life you know you read a newspaper headline logically like when you take a step back and and, and mm -hmm. objectively look at what you've read in a newspaper you can go actually you know what that's probably a load of bollocks yeah. but how many times does that not happen how many times do we take in a headline maybe don't even read the story we just go we take the headline and we run with it and then the next thing we know we're in conversations with people on social media in which you have this whole opinion about someone in the limelight which is complete nonsense because it's based on some bs headline that's been presented to you by a, a you know a big conglomerate newspaper yeah. so it's just it, do, I, it does feel very relevant to the way we, you know, as a modern society, attempt to get to the truth um, and, and fail to do so. And, and, and the reasons why we fail to do so, because of all those different opinions being thrown into the pot, things being missed, prejudices, anger, it just, yeah, it's, it's a really great film that makes you think. And every, there's not a single wasted moment as well, that's the thing. It's such a tightly scripted thing. The dialogue comes pretty thick and fast, but every single thing that is said means something. And you know, it, it, like I say, it either reveals something about character, it reveals something about you, the audience member that's watching. It talks very much about the judicial system and the flaws within it. It, it just it raises questions about the way you do things, about the way you look at other people. Um, it is brilliant it truly is yeah I, I, I mean i knew going into this one there wasn't going to be much of an argument about it because it's such a, a a movie that i think is and i don't see this often there's very few movies out there that are simply perfect like absolutely you can change a single thing and make this any better it is stunningly perfect and you know i, I know you've seen it a couple of times i've seen it a, a good few times more it never fails to draw me in never fails to surprise me, never fails to enlighten me a little bit. And it makes me want to be a better person. I'd like to think that in this situation, maybe I would ask the questions. I'd want to think that anyway. That's your mum. <laughs> anyway, is there anything else you would like to add about 12 Angry Men? Other than just wax the lyrical about it, I think I've, I think yeah. if you haven't seen it, it's just it is an amazing film. It is one of those films where, as I'm watching it, loads of different people suddenly pop into my head, and I start thinking, "Oh, I'd love to sit down and watch this with them. I'd love to know right. what their reaction to this would be." Uh, you know, it's, it's that that's usually the sign of a very good film for me is when I start when I start thinking of the people that I would like to show yeah. the film to. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, um, yeah, great story. Right, okay, I mean, we'll just jump into wrap ups, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've... Twelve Angry Men is, is an amazing movie. If you haven't seen it, go and check it out. You will agree with us, no doubt. It's wonderful. For me, giving it a score out of five, it's a six. <laughs> yeah, de definite five out of five for me. Uh, it it is incredible. Um, I just. Like Graham said, there's there's nothing you can fault about it, and e even even by today's standards of filmmaking, you know, if you, if you think about how would this film be made today, you know, how, how would a director use the camera? How would they how would they make this the most interesting film they could, given that it's just a one location movie essentially? Yeah, I don't think there is anything a director could do today that that. You know, short of short of going really MTV style editing and being all hip, which will just destroy it, yeah. wouldn't improve it by any means. There's literally there's, there's no way you could make this material 
better than what Sidney Lumet did mm. when he made this film. So, yeah, it is a perfect movie. Five out of five. Uh, that's Lee J. Cobb. I need to watch more of his movies because, quite frankly, my two favourite movies of the 50s star him in it. Um, and he, i got to say as well, he reminded me a little bit of Sylvester Stallone in this film. The way he talks with that kind of sideways, like, and, and when, he, when he shouts in particular, it proper reminds me of when Stallone goes off on one and does one of his shouty speechy type things. Um, and g- given that uh, the other film that was in question was On the Waterfront, which is actually my favourite film of the 50s, uh, that film was very much an inspiration for Rocky. You, you, mm. you, you can tell that. Anyone who's seen, seen the two, you, could, you can tell. But, um, yeah, it does make me wonder, does... Does Stallone have some kind of um, kismet with uh, Lee J. Cobb? Because, yeah, there's something Maybe. very Stallone-esque about him in this movie. But yeah. I've actually just seen Cobb in another movie recently. Um, it was uh, Boomerang, uh, directed by Ilya right. Kazan. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Same it's, direction it's kind of, as on the wall. Yeah, and I thought, I thought he was going to be uh, the main character. It's not he's a kind of side character, but it was really good seeing him as a, a police detective in that one. Yeah, it was quite good. So we're going to move on to our top five of this episode. And our top five is top five courtroom movies. Either based in or around a courtroom. Um, and for me, that this was... Uh, there was more of these than I actually thought you know, when I sat down to make the list. And I just had to initially... Uh, I kept scribbling down notes. I eventually just threw them all away and then went, you know what, these are the first five that I, I've watched multiple times that I like may not be the best courtroom movies, but my favourite. What about yourself, Brian? How did you devise your list? Well, I went to the aforementioned top 325 movies list and then literally just pulled out in order the five that, you know, in the order they were in. So, mm. uh, and, 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 and likewise, I was surprised um, by what popped up. I was surprised yeah. that about what ended up at number one. Um I think some of these may be questionable to some degree because um but but certainly at some point there is a courtroom aspect to them so um yeah yeah and um, some of them I, I i wanted to put on um it, it's been so long since i've seen certain movies that I'm, you know I, I don't feel comfortable putting something on that i haven't seen yeah uh, well, with enough uh, knowledge of recently which is why my number five is a bit of a weird one um, I'm going to put it on here because I've watched it a couple of times and I kind of like it. And, and my number five is Sleepers. Um, this movie is it, almost like a heist movie the way it's played out because we have our main character who's kind of manipulating everything behind the scenes um, to get out the information of what's happened at the heart of it. It's a group of kids uh, that were at a, a, a city borstal and were abused and years later they've all been damaged in various ways and one of them is trying to get the information out while at the same time he's kind of sabotaging his career uh, in law the cast is bonkers you know robert de niro kevin bacon brad pitt jason patrick billy kudrup mini driver dustin hoffman oh, you know amazing amazing uh directed by barry levinson i think it was yeah it was and just it's a movie that every time I watch, I kind of get you know pulled into it and enjoy it for what it is. It's nothing uh, overly amazing, but the cast, uh, some of the performances that aforementioned kind of heist feeling about it. I, I really kind of like Sleepers, which is why it just kind of slipped in there at number five. Okay. Um, Sleepers has come up. That's the second time it's come up this week, actually. Uh, a friend of mine phoned me yesterday and told me he'd just watched Sleepers. So <laughs> okay. uh, I feel like I need to watch it again. It's been a long, long time mm. since I saw Sleepers. I, I remember it had quite a profound impact on me when I watched it way yeah. back when. But it's been, like you said before, it's been that long since I watched it. I couldn't really tell you. Um, okay, uh, so my number five, and this is the one that is a bit tricky on the list because, like, is it a car? It's not specifically a courtroom drama in the legal sense but i've gone with scent of a woman the number five because there is who yeah because because it 
the whole thing is leading to a trial. That's essentially what it is. It's a trial. This kid is getting put on trial by his university uh, establishment. And basically Pacino's character, after spending time with him, goes with him as his representative because this guy doesn't have a father. So he kind of becomes the father figure. And he goes in there and, and, and yeah, gives, his, you know, gives a Pacino speech. And uh, it, it plays out like a courtroom drama in the end. Like the last 20, 25 minutes is essentially this courtroom sequence. Um, like I say, it's not in like a legal courtroom, it's a university mm. kind of environment. But for, for all intents and purposes, it's a trial. This kid is on trial um, and yeah, we, we know the guilty party, we know he's innocent, but um, what's going to happen I, j I just like it I, I love the film I you know a lot of people give Tino's performance a bit of stick in it because mostly because they think he should have won an Oscar a long long time before it and I think as a result of that you know they say oh he shouldn't have done it for this but it's a great performance everyone remembers it I love it I love the film the film hits me in the feels every time mm -hmm. um, I get quite emotional with it so yeah great film Scent of a Woman yeah. Uh, my number four is Anatomy of a Murder, directed by Otto Preminger, and this stars James Stewart, uh, cast a little bit against type here, as he is a not-so-clean lawyer who has lost his position in the DA's office and now works uh, just for himself. And he gets drawn into this case of a man who is accused of murder, uh, who says he did it because his, his wife was raped by somebody. And the wife backs up the story, but all the evidence kind of doesn't back it up. Um, and it's one of those really kind of uh, uneasy movies as characters constantly change from good to bad to, to evil to back to good again and twisting and turning. James Stewart is just absolutely brilliant in this part. It's, it's kind of unusual for him. The way it's directed is wonderful. The, the side actors are just terrific. It's one of those movies that I, I, I hate to say too much about uh, because I think people should really discover this one. Um, it's wonderful if you haven't seen it or if you have, it's, it's a terrific film, right? Have you seen that one? Oh. <laughs> Great. Okay, uh, my number four is 12 Angry Men. Uh, so I, 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 I expected this to be a bit higher, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, it's, like I say, five years, ten years from now, it, it, it may just be a lot higher. Uh, but... Uh, We've talked about it ad nauseum, so there you go. Great courtroom drama, one of the best, definitely. It's 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 the it's certainly the purest yeah. on this list. When you think, well, not just this list, any list really. I think it's it's when you think courtroom dramas, Twelve Angry Men is probably the purest because it, it is lit, it all takes place in the courthouse, not necessarily mm -hmm. the courtroom, but certainly all takes place in the courthouse. It's all about the the decision making process on a trial. So yeah, it's definitely the purest form of courtroom drama and it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Uh, my number three is A Few Good Men. Um, when you think of like courtroom sequences, I'm pretty sure most people are going to jump to the Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise yeah. uh, you know, debate that they have while he's on the stand. The movie's a little bit more uh, about other things than that. It's got, again, one hell of a cast. I'm sure it's Rob Reiner. Did that one? Yeah, um, it was. Aaron huge amount of cast. It was one of those ones where, when I was younger, I watched it constantly, and and it shouldn't be a movie for like like a young teenager type thing. <laughs> like, like, but that was one of my go-to movies that I watched endlessly. I loved that verbal battle at the end where everything's on the line against these two folk, these two powerhouses, and Cruz uh, holds his own against Nicholson, who was the, the bigger, more refined actor at that point, who had the bigger reputation. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it's just a really fun movie. Do you know, I haven't seen it in a number of years, but I really want to go back to it now. Yeah, I, I, I do. it's been a while since I've seen it, but I'm such a big fan of Aaron Sorkin. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's an incredible script, brilliantly written. doesn't appear on my list, though. An Aaron Sorkin movie that does, however, appear on my list at number three, is The Social Network, which, again, a little bit like Scent of a Woman. It's not a courtroom drama in the sense that we're in a, you know, 
courtroom, <laughs> but it, but it, <laughs> but it is built around this essentially this trial. Um, you know, this this Mark Zuckerberg uh, going up against the, the the partners that he had that helped him set up Facebook, and it's it's this trial to determine who who truly owns the rights, who truly came up with what, who who has ownership of what, and yeah. It's 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 just a again it's a film that takes place uh, within the context of a trial in which it brings out a lot of themes about uh, friendship and uh, just a lot of the problems with something like social media in which mm. it's is social media increasing social activity or is it actually hindering social activity? And you look at this guy who created this thing supposedly. Um, you know, he's got more friends than anyone on Facebook, but actually can't really relate to people in real life. And it's just, mm. yeah, some really great observations by Sorkin and probably the best performance that uh, Eisenberg has done. Really, really, yeah, just all around performances be great in it. Just yeah. a fantastic film. Um, one of Fincher's best. Mm-hmm. My number two is Primal Fear, which is the Richard Gere, Edward Norton movie. When this movie came out, um, Richard Gere was, you know, the, the big star at that point. He was making all the big movies. Edward Norton was, I think this was one of his first, if not his It was first, his first, it was his first film. First performance. And um, this was a powerhouse of a breakout performance. Edward yeah. Norton is simply unbelievably good yeah. in this movie. And, and as much as it's all about the lawyer um, twisting the, the system to his wiles, making him famous uh, as he does it all, at the heart of it, there's a case that's seemingly um, open and shut, primarily. You know, the, the, the person who's been caught for this, Edward Norton's character, has been caught covered in blood, but we discover more and more things. And uh, it gets to that finale where uh, things are revealed. It is truly kind of... When you first saw it, it was one of those gobsmacked, like... Uh, it's because you don't wow. see it coming. And that's no. because of how well set up it is. Mm. Um, they do such a good job of making you think that this is one kind of movie before doing a tailspin and saying, actually, no. Okay. Um, and, it's just, and because you become so invested in Norton's character and you sympathise with him because of his condition, um, it just, yeah, fun, it it's it's brilliant, amazing performance. I mean, I I saw. I think it was the first film I saw Norton in, and um, yeah. it was on late one night on television. I think I m- missed the first five five or six minutes or so, um, but I was watching it anyway, and I just I was hooked, absolutely hooked. And as soon as it finished, I looked this guy up. Because I'm like, who the hell was that guy? Because that performance was something else, and I've never seen him in anything. Um, and I think that led me to to checking out American History X. But um, yeah, fantastic performance. Um, it's not on my list. It's very close. It would have made my top ten, but uh, as would a few good men. But yeah, this is five, not ten. So. My number two is The Hurricane, a film which I think I've mentioned a few times on this show. Uh, I just It's, it's my favourite performance from Denzel Washington. I think it's a brilliant film. You know, any, anyone who's heard the Bob Dylan song, The Hurricane, um, can't help but be fascinated by this, this story of this, this real-life boxer who was falsely imprisoned for a murder that he did not commit. Um, spent 20 years in prison before he was eventually acquitted and released. Um, and this, I, I don't know how much of this film um, is true with regards to the events that led up to that acquittal, but certainly this film follows um, this, this, this kid who, after reading the, 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 the autobiography of Reuben Hurricane Carter, gets so invested in his story that he kind of drums up support, which eventually leads to the trial that that sees him get set free so it's it's all about this court case building up the case finding the evidence presenting it in court 
um, yeah, like the final final few scenes, you know, are, are in court, and yeah, it, it's it's just it's just a great movie, not just mm. not just a great courtroom drama, but just a great movie. And any chance I get to encourage people to watch it, I I will take because it's it's worth doing so. It's brilliant. Okay. Yeah, my number one is of course Twelve Angry Men. I said at the start of that review that it was one of my top ten movies of all time. Yeah. It was going to be there. We talked about it. It's perfect. Let's go to your number one, Brian. Yeah, my number one is. I, I, to be honest, I wouldn't. I would not have guessed this. Um, like I say, until I looked at my list. Um, but I'm going to go with the Insider. Uh, so it's it's again I, I like <laughs> like I say. I think from this list, probably Twelve Angry Men is the only. If you're going off a purist's kind of definition of a courtroom drama, it's probably the only one, really. But um, The Insider is a film that is built around um, two different perspectives of, of you know of, of a story involving the tobacco industry, the story that kind of uncovered the, uh, the, the the knowledge that the tobacco industry had of the addictive qualities of their product, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, Jeffrey Wigan was the whistleblower. And this really just, it's, it's his story, but it's also the story of the reporter who brought that story to light. And a lot of that takes place within a court-like setting. You know, there's a lot of moments of trial that go on in this, in which Wigan has to testify and is brought, you know, brought to give his side, so to speak. So is it a courtroom drama? Maybe not. I don't think it's the first film that jumps to people's minds when they think courtroom drama, but I think it fits the bill. And because of that, it is the film that from this list, I would say is my favorite. Um, And yeah, Michael Mann on the top of his game, uh, middle of the nineties when he, you know, made heat and and this and uh, something else, which escapes me at the minute, but he, he had a real solid run and this film was absolutely blinding. And what one of uh, one of Russell Crowe's best performances, I think. Great film. Okay, so we're going to move on to next episode, where Brian is going to read to me five synopsis. I will delete one at a time until the one that we are left with will be the movie for the next episode. Mm-hmm. Let's do this, Brian. Let's do it, y'all. Okay, number one. Mm. An old abandoned guest house is about to be reopened by two women with a dark and deadly secret. Mm. Number two, a family's lives are turned upside down when demonic forces begin to terrorise them. Number three, a young boy with a magical gift accidentally summons an evil and vengeful spirit. Number four, two pals develop a relationship that spans 50 years, but which unravels in death and mystery. And number five, as a family begin work on repairing their summer house so that they can put it up for sale, the retreat is turned into a house of terror as their past comes back to haunt them. Okay, now... I don't know what any of these are. I have a sneaking suspicion about number two. And uh, I'm so terrified that that's possibly going to be the Poltergeist remake that I'm going to have to just eject that one immediately. Right. It's not the Poltergeist remake. Um, Do you still want to eject it? (sighs) Give me them all again, Brian. (laughs) One, When is the two women that open the... The summer house, uh, the motel. Okay, so yeah. Uh, number one, an old abandoned guest house is about to be reopened by two women with a dark and deadly secret. Number two, a family's lives are turned upside down when demonic forces begin to terrorise them. Number three, a young boy with a magical gift accidentally summons an evil and vengeful spirit. Number four, Two pals develop a relationship that spans 50 years, but which unravels in death and mystery. 
And number five, as a family begin work on repairing their summer house so that they can put it up for sale, the retreat is turned into a house of terror as their past comes back to haunt them. Okay, I think I'm going to get rid of number five. You have gotten rid of a silent house. Right, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I can do I can do I've not one. seen any of these, by the way. I've, right, okay. I've, I've not seen any of the films on the from this five. Mm. It's. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple here that, that to be honest, they all sound like my kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to get rid number, of number four, four. I've seen a little bit of. Yeah, number four, I'm going to get rid of. That is Once Upon a Time in America. Ooh, that's, that's a good one. We Sergio Leone. Mm -hmm. I've been on a bit of a Sergio Leone uh, kick at the minute. I've, I've just watched four of his back-to-back. -back, so. oh, nice. Um, I'm going to get ready number three. You have gotten rid, and I think this is the third time of me trying to get this on. Um, I'll probably give up after this one, I think. Is Kubo and the Two Strings. Come and see you in every second, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I kind of fancy that one as well, but you know what, that's that's fine. So we have the two women about to open a motel and we have a family doing their summer house when it gets turned against them. Is that right? No, you got rid of that one. Uh, oh. That was Silent House. So we've got a family's life that are turned upside down by a demonic force. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you've got an abandoned guest house that is reopened by two women with a dark and deadly secret. Are they both horror, Brian? They are. See, the, the family one seems... Um, Generic. Seems like the usual kind of trope <laughs> that you get in horror. <laughs> uh, whereas, uh, i kind of curious about one. One was the one that sparked my, my, my curiosity right from the start. I've not seen either of these two, and I'm, I'm happy to watch either one. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to get rid of two. You've gotten rid of Insidious. Ah, God, I love that. It's great. Where did yeah. I pick? You have picked. This is the second time's the charm for uh, for this director on Brits on Flicks, being it's Neil Jordan. The film is Byzantium. Oh, right. Okay. So. There we go. Haven't seen that either. Okay. First time watch for both of us, cracking stuff. And I've talked five, Brian. I remember the last Neil Jordan film we watched was <laughs> a first time watch for both of us in the company mm. of Wolves, and we, we weren't too impressed, but hey ho. He did interview with a vampire, so, you know, mm. we're uh, possibly on better territory. Um, I'm going to say top five. Saoirse Ronan. All right, okay. Oh. Right. I don't know if I've seen too many. Um, I'll probably she's be surprised. One, okay, she's one of my favourite actors, so uh, I, I've yeah, seen yeah. quite a lot that she's done. Excellent that I've ever seen. Fantastic. So we went from uh, an instant classic to uh, in 12 Angry Men to a complete unknown with Byzantium. We look forward to that. Uh, next episode will be top five Saoirse Ronan. I'm going to have to get my thinking cap on, Brian. Okay. I've, I've no preconceptions about that movie whatsoever. No, I've never I, seen I, the I poster. Mm. And that's all. I don't even know if I've seen the trailer, so I'm really curious. Mm. As always, thanks to everybody. Stay away, stay away from the trailer, I think. I I, I, yeah. I did see the trailer a long time ago, but I'm not going to go back and watch it. I'm just going to come to the film as fresh as possible. So. Yep, 100%. I'm going to go in cold and see what, mm. what happens. Yeah, as always. Thanks to everybody for joining us in our conversation and we will see you next month on Bricks and Flicks.